it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern, to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. I'm Dave Ahern. And I have Andrew Safer with me as always. Today we're going to talk about something a little different. We haven't done this before. We're going to talk about how to screen for stocks and how to find great ideas. And Andrew and I have some a little bit differing opinions on this. And Andrew has a great ebook that we've talked many times about that was very foundational for me to learn how to do my stock screening that I do every Monday morning. It's one of my very much a ritual for me, and it works great, keeps me in the loop on things that are going on, and helps me find great ideas. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Andrew, and he's going to start us off and talk a little bit about this. All right, Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, my Monday morning ritual is hitting the snooze button, so (laughs) we do have some differences, I'm guessing. Basically, (laughs) you know, a screen is a great way to just get some ideas and I, I, obviously, my, my site's focused on beginners, so I just get that question all the time. And, you know, obviously, I've written blog posts about it and stuff like that, but it's it's a valid question, and it's, it's something that always pops up, and it's a struggling point for a lot of beginners is, well, where do I get ideas for stocks? You know, I might have this toolkit, and I might have this ability to sift through the financial data and, and find an intrinsic value and search for a margin of safety. But there's just so many stocks out there. There's so many annual reports. There's thousands of words on these annual reports. There's just too much data, too many companies, too many options. So how do we kind of narrow that down? And a stock screener is the best way to do it. There's a couple different screeners you can use. The one that I prefer to use is called finviz.com. You can type it in. Um, You know, obviously this is podcast, so I'm not going to try to go through step by step but I'll try to give some commentary along the way so you can just kind of get an overall sense of, of what we're talking about and, and some things that you can take home with you when the next time you want to do a screen and you won't feel so lost so I pull up finviz.com right away there are 7,094 stocks it's a great start um, this particular website focuses primarily on United States stocks it does have some stocks from other countries a lot of these for example i'm gonna click on this one it says france 
but this one's traded on the NASDAQ. So there are, it, it has this tilt for the United States where even if it's a company that's based in a different country, it's going to be a, a stock that's traded on, I don't know, the NASDAQ, the, the NYSE, one of those United States based, I guess, stock exchanges, whatever the word may be. That's, that's generally what's going to show up on this list. Makes it simple for me because obviously I'm U.S. Um, all American all the way, so it's not something I have to worry about. I've seen UK screeners, readers of mine have brought that to my attention, and so definitely you can do some basic research and figure out how that relates to your own situation. Uh, something I like to do straight away, and again because I'm all American, 100% raw raw. Let's go. Declaration of Independence. I just straight off the bat go to the drop down where it says country and I just go USA. We've covered that before in the past. Makes taxes simpler. I think they are the country to own moving forward. They have been for the past couple hundred years, even longer. That's the way you want to go. So that narrows it down to about 6,200. The next one I like to look at is market cap. And this is something that we can kind of debate a little bit. And there's a lot of different ideas generally when you hear about what's called the blue chip stocks the big business stocks the ones that are tend to be in in the media they're talking about these stocks that have market capitalizations of 200 billion plus so think stocks like microsoft google throw in any other you know johnson and johnson these these big blue chip kind of strong and steady stocks that's kind of the range and then it goes kind of varies you can go down to like the the mid cap range is where i tend to like to play somewhere between 2 billion to 100 billion and you can go smaller than that and you can go from 500 to 500 million to 2 billion and that's i guess depending on who you're talking to they could call that small they could call that micro and then you can even go, if you want to get real fancy, you can go down to the, the micro and the nano, you know, go down to like 50 million or even less. There's lots of stocks that aren't even traded over the market. You have to do what's called an OTC and it can get all sorts of tricky. There's all sorts of risks there. My range that I really like to use, and I, I stick to this probably 90% of the time, it's going to be something $2 billion or above. Uh, the way I look at it, and if you look at my e-leather portfolio, I have, I just wrote an email about this the other day. I, I only have two positions that are in the 200 billion plus range. All the rest are in that kind of 2 billion to 200 billion sweet spot. So I, I like it because n- number one, when you get the smaller, the size you get, the, the less analyst coverage there is because the money's just not there compared to the the bigger stocks. So there's a better chance in that sense that because a company is not as widely covered, that their growth and their business health isn't as appreciated as it should be by the market. So that's a great spot. That's, That's like a great benefit of going smaller. Secondly, you know, on the flip side of that, you, you don't want to go too small because there's the risk that a stock either gets swallowed up or you know when when a when a stock is just at a, such a small size and it's a player in the market and if you have the big 3 competitors in 
in the market somewhere. It's tough to, to really dominate market share wise when you're such a small player. So that's why I tend to stay away from anything under two billion. And obviously, there's the risks that come with a smaller stock. The volatility tends to be higher. I just see that this two to two hundred billion range is kind of the sweet spot. And generally, when you when you talk about small cap, mid cap, that's that's what all the books tend to say is somewhere around that range. It's it's debatable as far as the actual jargon, but there have been studies showing that that size can really do well has proven to do well through back testing and to me it's it's really where i find a lot of great deals when i'm screening so that's kind of where i like to go when it comes to market cap i'm right there with you on that i i with the market cap i i stick roughly in that same i may dip a little bit below that on occasion uh just for giggles to see what's out there and what's available so if i'm you know maybe stuck in a rut and finding the same 14 companies every single week, I may expand my market cap to give me possibly some more options. I will never really go a whole lot below that. You know, I may go down into the, you know, maybe 750 million market cap, maybe a little bit below that. Once I start getting below that, I start getting nervous because, you know, like you were saying, several things can happen. There's a lot of more volatility and a lot more risk. There's also a lot more chance that they're going to get gobbled up by a bigger fish in that field. Uh, you know, there's been some occasions where I've gotten some really good deals a little bit below that, and one of them actually just is in the process of being bought out by another company. It hasn't been finalized yet. Uh, the nice thing was is that the price of the stock jumped from around 750 a share to almost $13 a share, so I'm going to make a nice little profit on it, but the bad news is that I won't continue to own that company uh, anymore. So, you know, there are the, the opportunity for that. It really comes down to what your risk tolerance is and how much you can handle the, the ups and downs. The other aspect of that, too, is the smaller you get, you know, there, you're also going to have the opportunity where you're going to have companies that are just not going to trade, you know, hardly at all. And, you know, that's not a good place to be either because then there's no activity on it. So you may be sitting on that stock, and there may be no movement on the price on it for a very long time. And that's not really where we want to be either. And, you know, I wanted to make a note on also what Andrew was saying about the analyst reports. That is something that's very, very important to, to consider because, you know, the less coverage there is, the more opportunity there is for you to find that hidden gem, if you will. And I know that's something Andrew focuses a lot on with his e-letter. And I think that's a great place to be for a value investor because, you know, one of the things that we're always looking for are those things that are kind of ignored or are beaten down a little bit in the market. And when you're looking at these companies that are not followed very much by the analysts, then you're going to have more of an opportunity to find something that, you know, can have a really big chance to grow on you. And, you know, if you do your research and you find that company that, you know, has really been ignored in the market for a long time, then that's going to give you an opportunity to do, do some really good things. It's, you know, the Johnson brothers and, you know, Johnson and Johnson, I mean, I'm sorry. And, you know, some other, those big blue chip companies, the movement on those are going to, it's going to be a lot more gradual and a lot slighter where some of these smaller companies, you could get a big, big bang out of them very quickly. Yeah. It's a great way to just kind of scoop up value. If, you want to use that metaphor 
and really make some nice gains. So I'm going to, for the sake of this podcast episode, I'm going to do just the over $2 billion. So that actually narrowed down the field a lot. We went to from about 6,000 stocks down to about 1,350. So you can see once you get under that $2 billion below the mid or small cap range, there's just so much, so many stocks, so many different things you can choose from. So the next thing I like to do is because obviously... I'm 100% pro-dividend is there's a dividend yield component and I always just make sure that's positive. Again, that's a debate for another time, but that's something that can narrow down the list of stocks as well and just make sure I'm always getting a dividend payment. I don't care too much about the yield because if I'm buying a company that's growing, it will tend to grow its dividend and that's really what I care about. I want to see double compounding interest and I understand that because I have a long-term mindset that something with a low yield but growing over a long period of time can easily beat out something that had a higher yield but maybe stagnates or cuts or just doesn't grow nearly as fast as something that did. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. So 
as far as the finviz the those are the three big ones in what's called the descriptive tab which is the first screen that pops up <clears throat> the next one i'll go to is the fundamental tab and this is where you'll see all of the different valuations financial metrics ratios the stuff that we really covered in the previous episode where we did our complete valuation guide that's been one of our most popular episodes and for good reason we just packed as much info into that as we could so that's something that kind of can supplement this if if you are kind of lost when it comes to the different metrics and ratios so i mean from here it's pretty self-explanatory you can do it for price to earnings price to sales price to book price to cash those are all things we've talked about you know i i tend to go like pe under 25 as an example ps under three pb under three and let's say price to 10 price to cash under 10 but what dave said earlier is probably the most important point and what you should if you forget about everything else that we talk about here remember this one important point is that a screen should be fluid it should not be this strict set of stringent rules that a stock absolutely cannot break depending on where the market is and and where prices are going you're going to have opportunity you could have maybe 20 stocks 30 stocks that show up on your screen sometimes it could be five it really depends and you know these things will change every day but what's important to understand is that you don't want to be strict to say, oh, well, I'm never going to buy a stock below with a PE under 25 or you know, a price to sales under three or a market cap at 1.99 billion. I'm never going to do that. You can, you, could, you can and should be fluid. And I do this a lot and I probably should do it more. But you know, when I run out of ideas, loosen up a metric or two. Instead of going PE under 25, maybe check PE under 35 or price to sales under four. A lot of times when I'm not seeing opportunities, because Finviz doesn't give like an under 20, under 30, they just say under 10 or basically any, you know, they go under 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. I just do any sometimes. And yeah, sometimes I'll get stocks that are like price to cash around 100, but a lot of times I'll get stocks that might have slipped through my screen before when I was going price to cash under 10 and they might have something like a 12 or a 15 or a 16 something that was definitely still reasonable and would still give a good overall valuation picture but it's just slipped through the cracks because the screen is by definition cutting off the stocks that don't mean the strict criteria so let the screener do its job but you do the job as the DIY investor and use some intuition and don't be afraid to loosen up the screens to find differences and it's going to give you a variety of ideas and it's going to give you more of a variety of kind of investment strategy you don't want to always uh, this is my opinion and and, you know uh, other people might not agree with this but in my opinion you don't always want to maximize for one metric like you don't want to be the investor who's like, well, I'm always going to just buy PE under 10 PE under 10. And, you know, really focus on that. I like to kind of have a couple stocks that have a really great PE. Uh, maybe a couple of those have a really great PB. Maybe a couple of those are just have like close to no debt. You know, I like to have a well-rounded portfolio in that way because if, if you, if you get your portfolio one, 
maybe one-sided, lopsided towards a certain strength that can deteriorate really quickly. It might oversaturate you into different industries that tend to have lower PEs. And I just don't think you're getting a fair, broad exposure to really the kind of returns that you can expect that not necessarily are parallel to the general market, but give you at least that same kind of profit potential. Obviously, we hope to beat that, but you want to keep that intact while also paying low prices. So that's, I mean, the big ones there for Finviz are going to be under this fundamental tab. You have all the price-based metrics. They also have debt to equity. Um, Obviously, I do that like as an under one. Maybe a small little detail that you should know is the way Finviz calculates debt to equity is different from the way I do it. I believe they use, it says, they actually might do it the same way I do, but you know, every financial website is going to do it in a different way. And I've had readers email me that lately. Sometimes they're just going to look at long-term debt. Sometimes they'll actually take the total liabilities. So some of these, again, with a screener, I think you want to take everything and don't just stop at the screen, but make sure you're doing your own research ahead of that. The screen is really just a great tool to narrow down your selection and get you to a list that's more digestible and one that you can systematically go through without spending two or three days on it. So if I do some of these more general, kind of the PE, the price of cash, yada, yada, I'm getting around 46 companies right now. Try before you buy. And that was just with what I said, PE under 25, PS under 3, PB under 3. I feel like I'm missing something right now. That's okay for now. So if, if I like tighten it up to PS and PB under 2, down to like 28 companies. So as, as you, you know, change these criteria, you'll, you'll see the list expand or shrink. One big one that I like to use, particularly with Finviz, because I'm scrolling through the list and what tends to happen is you'll get a ton of financial stocks, bank stocks, insurance stocks. And those, again, because of the the way I calculate debt to equity is different, those I tend to stay away from because they highly leverage their balance sheet. Not to say that they're terrible companies, but that's just the way they run their businesses. And I know... There's different ways you can evaluate and analyze that, but I just look at that particular sector as outside of my circle of competence, so I pretty much ignore those almost unilaterally. So one way that, number one, it's a good practice to do anyway. Uh, It's not part of my seven steps or my value trap indicator, but it's a good metric to use. And number two, it kind of takes away a lot of, not all, but a lot of these financial companies that don't have as much liquidity. That's the current ratio. Um, It basically takes current assets divided by current liabilities. And I like to go like over 1.5 or over 2. So if I do like an over 1.5, now I'm down to a more reasonable list of like 9 companies and I can go through. I'm seeing lots of stocks that I've looked at in the past. I see a couple stocks that are in my portfolio now. And so this is just really some of the power that you can have with a screen. And it's nice. Like I I run them at least once a month. And Dave, you run them once a week. So I'm sure 
you see the the same companies over and over again but it kind of reminds you of the fact that many of these companies will stay undervalued for a very long time you don't have to be the person who bought when the stock was at the very bottom of the barrel you can be somebody who bought maybe while the stock was just treading water or, or maybe it just started an upturn you know a little uptick a lot, a lot of time these things can take several years, maybe even three, four years until they, they trade up to their real intrinsic value. So it's it's interesting to just run the screens and see that that's really a, a, a trend that I've seen. And, and I, I see it through very many months, three, four, five, six, where I'm starting to see the same stocks. But I, I can't tell you if I've seen one I'm looking at out of this group of nine, there's maybe one that I remember that was there like three years ago, but a lot of these just kind of fluctuate in and out and it really can signal some good opportunities. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Yeah, and you know, the the point you made about the the stock staying in that you know, undervalued area for a while. I'll give you an example. You know, just recently, I guess it was about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, the oil industry got beaten up pretty bad because the price of oil fell quite dramatically over a maybe a five or six month period. It fell from about a hundred dollars a barrel to I think it got under forty at one point. And so, quite a few of the uh, oil companies and kind of the auxiliary of you know, the Chevrons and the Exxons, they got beaten up pretty bad. And, you know, you so for a while when you would do your screens, you would see quite a few oil companies in there. And, you know, one of the things that I did, I did buy into a company but within the oil industry. But what I did was I kind of sat on it for a while because I saw that the price of oil was continuing to fall. And because that was such an important commodity for that particular company, that I wanted to wait until it quote-unquote bottomed out or at least I felt like it was kind of either stabilized or maybe kind of bounced back a little bit before I started trying to get into the company and not so worry so much about, oh, my God, i got to get into it now because it's so cheap. And, you know, I was able to, you know, I think I waited almost seven months before I bought the company. I did my research. I, you know, I followed all my steps. And, you know, I have a checklist that I go through, and I read the 10Ks, and I read the 10Qs, and I looked at all kinds of different valuation metrics, you know, and, you know, did a discount of cash flow on it. So I did all kinds of background work on it. So I was, you know, I was prepared when I felt like the company was going to be such that I would be willing to make the purchase on it. And, and I did. And it hasn't gone skyrocketed, but it's done okay since then. And I understand that oil is a commodity, and right now there's a glut of oil in the world, and so the price of oil is kind of bouncing around a little bit, but I'm patient. You know, I know that at some point it will go back up, and the company will be doing better again, and the price will go back up again. So, And in the meantime, I'm collecting dividends on the company, so I'm still making money on the company, and it's still working and doing the things that I want it to do. You know, has a, you know, doubled in price since I bought it? No. And not every stock you're going to buy is going to do that. You 
know, I would hazard to guess that some of the stocks in Andrew's portfolio have, you know, some of them I know have done fantastically well, but some of them are probably just doing good. And that's okay because you can't have, you know, huge winners in every single stock. You know, you just, you just not gonna, that's just not going to happen. When you have a portfolio of 15 to 20 stocks, you're going to have some that are going to do better than others. And it's just kind of part of the, the game of, you know, working with what you have and trying to be patient and understand that this is for the long term. And, you know, if you have faith in the company and the research that you've done on the company is going to continue to do well and they're performing well, you know, that's kind of a sign too, you know, kind of a sidebar of this. When things are not going well and the company is still doing well or still is kind of keeping its head above water, that's a sign that management knows their stuff, that they're able to adapt to severe economic conditions, and maybe not in the country or the world, but maybe in that particular sector, if they're still able to hang in there during that time, when things turn around and get better, then, you're, then the company is going to, you know, excel. So that's something to kind of keep in mind as well as you're going through this. Is, you, know, you can look at, you know, how stocks have done in, you know, during the last, uh, you know, recession that we had. If they've done well through that recession, and Andrew has talked about this many times through some of our podcasts, if that company has done well through that period of time, that's a sign that they have, yeah, have good management. They, they know how to manage their business through the ups and downs of, you know, the, the economy and kind of just the way business flow cycles go. So, you know, another thing about doing these screenings that, that Andrew and I are talking about tonight is, you know, I've, I've mentioned this many times in my blogs, and, and I'll mention it here on the air, never ever buy a stock based on just doing this one simple screen. You come up with these nine companies that Andrew is looking at tonight and go, sweet, I got nine companies I can go out and buy. And you run out and buy them. Don't do that. Please, that's, you know, this is, this is a starting point to give you an idea of things that you can invest in. This is not for you to go, these are the nine ideas I want to buy. These, this is a starting point for you to start doing your research and start figuring out what it is you want to buy because, Chances are, you know, I don't, I don't have the screen in front of me right now, so I'm going to rely on Andrew to, to tell me the answer to this. But, you know, chances are there could be six or seven of those companies are all in the same sector or the same industry, and that is not something you really want to do. Is that what is that kind of how it breaks down? Yeah, there's there's a retail. There's there's a couple of retail in here. That's an obvious one. The oil and gas, which you talked about, these are in the refining yeah. and marketing. So. Uh, right. some, some stocks we've definitely seen that are kind of very characteristic of 2017 so far, and there are some that are still down there. Right. So, you know, that's that's just that's just kind of the nature of the beast. And, you know, this is just one tool that you can use to gather ideas. Andrew and I will probably talk about other ideas, you know, how to find investment ideas as we go forward. But we just kind of want to talk a little bit about how we screen. We've talked a little bit about this in the past, but Andrew thought it would be a really good idea for us to kind of go through, you know, kind of a rough overview of the steps that we use to, to how we do this. And, you know, Andrew used a lot of the different metrics that we talked about, and those are all the same things that I use as well. And, you know, again, talking about the fluidity of being flexible on what you're looking at for the numbers is, is very critical to being, you know, a well-rounded investor and, and somebody that can adapt and kind of try to be, you know, a little bit more open-minded to certain things because you never know when you're going to find, 
you know, that hidden gem that you just, you know, you expand one metric and you come across this great company that, you know, you don't know when it could, you know, double or triple in price. And that's, that's where you can really get the big bucks. And, you know, whenever that happens, it's, it's a great feeling. And, you know, so I would encourage you to, you know, have, it's great to have a checklist. It's great to have, you know, a, a guideline to go off of, but it's also great to just kind of play around and look at things, you know. It doesn't mean you have to go out and buy that company that maybe has a, you know, a price to book that's a little higher than you normally look at. But it can give you other ideas that you can look at and, you know, you can add those to your, you know, um, your, oh, I'm blanking on that term, where, you know, you have a list where you can, well, watch list. You can add that to your watch list and, you know, just keep an eye on it, you know, and maybe you don't pull the trigger on it now, but maybe something changes in six months, a year, year and a half, two years, you know, that you think that's a great company, but you're just waiting for it, you know, to come back to earth or you're waiting for something to change that would give you an opportunity to, to buy into that, you know, that stock at that time. So there's just a lot of great ways to go about doing this. I think Andrew's done a really good job of explaining how this all works. Yeah, that's, that's really a fantastic overview of the whole stock screeners that are out there right now. And like Dave said, this is one tool for your investing toolbox. Don't go around thinking that every everything's a nail and, you know... <laughs> yeah. Is that how it goes? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it is, yeah. Okay. The man with a hammer is always everything to a man with a hammer. Everything looks like a nail. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Our buddy Charlie Munger. The, uh, uh, I guess one other thing that I wanted to add to this is, you know, Andrew and I are big fans of FinViz. I have tried other stock screeners personally, and I have not found them as user-friendly as FinViz is. Uh, we're not affiliate marketing. We don't get any financial benefit. There is a free service that there's a website. They do have premium stuff, but, you know, I, I personally just use the free service, and it works great. I've tried Google. I've tried Yahoo. And I personally have not found them as user-friendly as FinViz is for me. Uh, maybe I'm just a simpleton, and maybe it's maybe that's just not smart enough to figure those out. But to me, when I do the screens based on all the all the things that I've learned from Andrew's ebook, I just feel like that it's so easy to use, and it just makes it so user-friendly and it's so quick, and it just really doesn't take a lot of time. You know, it's not something you got to agonize over. You know, for a long period of time. It's just, is meant for to give you an idea to, to, to go do the more the, the deeper research into it yeah and they give a ton of ratios to choose from i mean we talked about oh, yeah. nine yeah. but there's oh, yeah. even for technical guys that they cover that too so oh, i mean yeah, if even if you're using the tool check out findas and yeah maybe they should start paying us <laughs> yeah maybe they should <laughs> all right folks well that's going to wrap it up for us tonight i hope you enjoyed our little session here talking about screeners Hope you find some value in that. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this. Again, we'd love to have some other guests on here. Andrew and I really enjoy talking to each other, but we would love to have somebody else to talk to once in a while. We get a little lonely. No, we don't. But uh, we would love to have somebody else. Speak for yourself. On here to, yeah. Uh, we'd love to have somebody else on here to talk to, answer some questions. We're here to help, and we're here to help you find some great investments with a margin of safety, a emphasis on the safety part. And without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off, and we will see you guys next week. Have a great one. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way. 
with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.